Lawrence Tavis is chairman of the Republican Party of Pennsylvania. With Pennsylvania being the largest swing state in the nation and many voting changes being implemented this year, Lawrence and I chatted about the coming challenges and opportunities for Republicans in this fall's election. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I'm in downtown Harrisburg uh, with Republican Party Chairman Lawrence Tabus. Lawrence, uh, thanks for joining me on Brews and Views. Well, thank you, Matt. I'm very glad to be here today. Well, I'm glad to chat. Here we are, uh, you know, post-Labor Day. Uh, elections are heating up. Uh, and usually at this time, it, it's a normal election season. If there is a normal one where people are on the airwaves, they're talking about the economy, talking about, you know, are you better off today than you were for you? I mean, everything is thrown up in the air for a variety of reasons, from from COVID to uh, the, the riots happening to Pennsylvania in the throes of election, uh, you know, how we vote uh, this is brand new for us and probably going to be the busiest year ever. Uh, I, we've got a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. <laughs> so let's let's get right to it. But first, um, talk about your background. You're you're an, you're a lawyer, uh, first of all. Yes, um, I uh, plead guilty on that one. <laughs> uh, and and do a lot in election law. I know that that's an area that uh, I remember when we talked about this. You said, look, it's. It, it's not something that you can do alone because it's seasonal in, in some regards, um, but it's a, it's an area that we have to have expertise in. And I know that you are the really the, the top lawyer on election law in Pennsylvania, um, so it's kind of natural that you're now the chairman of the party because we need a lot of people paying attention to election law in Pennsylvania. Well, it was actually kind of a fluke that that skill of mine is now serving me in this position much more beneficially than I estimated it would be in the beginning. But yes, I started doing it about 40 years ago, uh, election law. I, as a volunteer, most of the work I do is a volunteer in election law. And I thought it was only going to be one or two little cases. And eventually, uh, one day, I'd be uh, governor or president of the United States, none of which I am. And uh, it has actually blossomed into uh, a major area of the law, although it is one that you can't really earn a living at. Well, you earn a living in health care law, correct? That is correct. Uh, yeah. I, and I'm on uh, basically sabbatical now. But uh, for uh, several decades, I also practice uh, in the health care law field, uh, representing physicians, health care institutions and all in compliance and transaction matters. And uh, you're a Republican because you come from the bastion of Republicanism, uh, the city of Philadelphia, right? <laughs> well, I was born in the city, <laughs> although I was raised in a suburb in Montgomery County that at the time, the only Democrats you ever saw from there were on TV and usually very far away. Uh -huh. Of course, that area has changed dramatically too. But yes, I now live in Philadelphia. I'm one of the seven Republicans left in that city. <laughs> well, uh, talk about uh, how you became a Republican. I mean, did you grow up in a Republican family, or when did you start paying attention to politics? Because you've been involved in politics uh, for a good part of your life. When did that uh, interest uh, uh, come about? Was that an early thing in your family? Were they involved in politics? My family wasn't involved, but they were always strong Republicans. And again, we lived in a very Republican area. Uh, many of their 
uh, friends and uh, colleagues were elected Republican officials. But uh, believe it or not, uh, my first campaign I got active uh, was for uh, Richard Nixon mm -hmm. and uh, worked hard for him in our high school mock elections. Uh, he was not very popular in the schools <laughs> back then. And then from there, uh, I went on to volunteer and help campaigns. And after law school, got involved in my local party, became a committeeman, and worked my way uh, up to this present position. And uh, so today, you are the chairman of, of the state party uh, in uh, the most important state in the country. Uh, so I'm sure that your, your phone is ringing off the hook with folks saying, what's happening in PA? Uh, give us your, your assessment of things in Pennsylvania right now. Uh, are Republicans uh, going to win like they did in 2016? What, uh, what's your crystal ball say? Well, now that we live in a world that every sentence begins with, uh, in the world in which we currently find <laughs> ourselves, so with that preface, uh, in Pennsylvania, we should absolutely have an excellent uh, day on November 3rd in election year. Um, voter registration, which I view as much more important than the polls, shows that in the last four years, uh, we have registered Democrats to Republican, over 188,000 of them, compared to the Democrats, about 40,000 on their flip. So we are about 142, 143,000 more registered Republicans, and the president only won our state by 44,000. But even more important than the registration is the economy. And we are now seeing, because of President Trump and because of our legislative leaders, that uh, our party has become the friend of the working American. And the pro-growth policies of our party is what is actually creating a lot of enthusiasm, not just with Republican voters, but Democrats and independents as well, who are very much anxious to rebuild this economy and get back to work. Well, I, I say that uh, Pennsylvania is really a microcosm of the country, that if uh, there is a state that ought to be one of the early votes, instead of it being Iowa and New Hampshire, which are really not representative of the country, Pennsylvania really is with our urban, our rural, uh, I mean, you name it, uh, the economy of Pennsylvania is pretty representative of, this, of the country. And I think you're also seeing uh, the shifts that are happening within the parties right here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think you, you alluded to it uh, where uh, the Republican Party has become the working class party. And we're definitely seeing that out in western Pennsylvania. Uh, and while the Democratic Party, uh, where you grew up in Montgomery, has been picking up uh, uh, those once solid red counties. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Chester County uh, had pretty much every uh, uh, office, elected office, Republicans has, has switched dramatically. Um, what, what, how do you explain that? What, what has happened where the Republican Party has grown to become the working class party and the Democrats are now really kind of become uh, representative of the elites or the, you know, the suburban wealthy folks who have vacated uh, urban centers. Um, how, how do you explain kind of that, that shifting going on? Well, uh, two things. Uh, one, as you pointed out, Matt, uh, in the beginning there, uh, Pennsylvania is a great microcosm for this nation. In addition to our urban, rural uh, mix that we have, Agriculture is our biggest industry. So here we are, a mid-Atlantic state with agriculture. Energy is a very important mm -hmm. industry for us, as are the building trades. So we do have a very variety of different uh, businesses and enterprises here. 
But I would tell you that the shift has come mostly because of an anti-establishment mm. uh, mood that has crossed the country. And part of that is, Matt, because for decades now, a lot of voters and a lot of citizens have felt that the establishment um, has let them down. Um, we see this now in the COVID crisis with the need to approve new medications and therapeutics, that uh, the policies of administrations, Democrat and Republican in the past, have not really brought this country to the levels that it should be in many respects, and it's kept people from really realizing their, their dreams and aspirations. So now we're seeing that that mood has now become one that is across political ideology. And the, the working person in America has made America, mm -hmm. always has. Mm -hmm. And they are now seeing that government needs to be responsive to their needs because their needs are what keep the fabric of our nation going forward. Well, and when they say responsive to our needs, it's not, hey, give me more uh, handouts. Uh, it's more get out of the way, let us uh, uh, run our own lives. That's a great uh, way to put yeah. it. Yeah, in fact, it's more like... Um, we don't want a handout. Just give us the chance to work and earn our own yeah. way. And yes, we'll pay taxes on what we earn. But that is more of that approach that they're taking as opposed to what can the government do for me? You know, basically, what can the government do to let me alone so I can succeed. You know, yesterday I was traveling across uh, Pennsylvania and spent a, uh, quite a bit of time on the turnpike, and, and I saw Trump signs, I mean, like lawn decorations and uh, l incredibly large signs on, on uh, 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 farm equipment. Um, and I remarked to my colleague who I was driving with, says, you know what, I never saw one of those for Romney or for Bush or McCain. Uh, it's a really different dynamic of, of what we've seen, kind of the populist and, uh, I mean, the uh, I, signs are not indicative of who's going to win, but it's, it's incredible uh, when you see the enthusiasm for Donald Trump, uh, particularly amongst, as we're talking about working class, that you have a millionaire, billionaire Manhattanite <laughs> being the, the 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 champion for the working class. Uh, I mean, it's if you'd have said this ten years ago, we have said there's no way uh, that Donald Trump becomes the representative for the working class. It's it's really odd times uh, when you when you think about it. Uh, that shift that has happened, um, and certainly Pennsylvania being the biggest swing state in the country, uh, we're we're definitely seeing those shifts. Uh, occur uh, right here in, in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So, uh, uh, Lawrence, as we uh, think about the election, um, a, lot is, a lot of focus uh, has been on the process of the election. We made major changes uh, in the fall of 2019 to how Pennsylvanians are going to vote. Uh, and, of course, this was all pre-COVID, uh, with now that a focus on mail-in and many other states— Pennsylvania, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we were like 96% day of voting in Pennsylvania, meaning that it was difficult. You had to have an excuse to get an absentee. We didn't have mail-in. Uh, am I close to, with that number? You're, you're close, yeah. yes. And absentee uh, was always an important right? uh, vote out there. And in many elections, it was the difference, especially in close ones. But yes, in late October of last year, where COVID was not even a twinkle in anybody's mm -hmm. eye, uh, the legislature, among other changes, permitted no-excuse mail-in ballots 
uh, which also require the voter to actually have to apply for it just as an absentee ballot. It's not a guarantee ballot to go to every voter. Um, they also made some other significant changes, one of which was to do away with straight party ticket voting in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. uh, other changes were also made. I uh, leave that up to the legislature's uh, wisdom in all of those changes. But now, with COVID, the mail-in ballot provision was certainly something that has been valuable if it's not abused. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and it seems that the Democrats have uh, made that a priority, uh, pushing m uh, people to apply for the mail-in, um, which, and, and I think just for, for listeners, you have to apply for it. You are then sent the ballot. You then have to send it back within a certain time period for it to be received. And there's a lot of litigation over, okay, when can we start counting these? Uh, what if they're received after Tuesday, November 3rd? How do we handle those if they're postmarked? Uh, and I want to get into some of the litigation that, that you're paying uh, close attention to. Uh, but back to one of those other changes I think that will be of interest is getting rid of straight party ticket uh, voting. I think we were one of only seven states that still allowed that. Uh, and so this will be the first election um, that that will not be implemented. And I know that in parts in your part of the state, the southeast, uh, we were seeing 60, some, you know, close to 70 percent. Um, some of those folks just pushing the party, not even knowing who they're voting for. Um, and I, I, I didn't like that because it didn't give uh, the guy or the gal that was running for the state house the opportunity to make their case. Because if you're just voting straight party, um, you're, not, you're, you're not thinking about your vote. So how do you think that that will impact uh, things uh, in Pennsylvania, just getting rid of that provision? Well, there are pros and cons to it. Uh, as you say, in the urban areas, 60 percent plus sometimes were straight party votes, and that hurt a lot of our candidates including statewide candidates who had to pick up votes in the urban areas. But even in uh, more rural suburban counties, you could see 20 to 30 percent. So if you were running for the state house, the state senate, uh, there was at least a base of votes that you had out there. Uh, now you're competing for every single vote. Mm -hmm. It's good if the top of the ticket is not strong. Um, it's hurts the top of the ticket if the bottom of the ticket is stronger than the top, as we saw in 2006. Senator Santorum was not as popular as some of the candidates for Congress in the state mm -hmm. legislature, and mm -hmm. they helped him in some areas. But it will now make voters have to actually look at every candidate. But, Matt, the one concern I have is that there will be a lot of people who maybe will just go in and just be voting for the presidential race mm -hmm. and not worry about voting for the others because they don't have to now. And that's a problem that I uh, uh, foresee. Well, I can see that. Uh, and in some ways, I say, you know what, if you didn't look at the candidates, I'd rather you not vote anyway, instead of just voting straight party. Um, I like informed voters. Yeah, we <laughs> so yes, we, we, we all do. So uh, that will be of interest. Now, um, the mail-in, uh, I know there's a lot of different components to this, and uh, you are before the courts in a variety of cases, or you're looking at a number of cases. Can you give us an update as to what litigation is happening over mail-in in Pennsylvania? Because I know that the Trump 
campaign has even weighed in. And, and uh, so there's a lot of concern over how this is going to work in Pennsylvania. Can you kind of summarize some of the litigation and what is at stake uh, with those uh, uh, cases? Well, yes. And, and at the outset, certainly I would prefer that uh, people vote in person. Uh, it's the one time a year that we as a nation come together with our neighbors and and uh, can collectively uh, put together our democracy. But uh, we're living in a COVID period right now. Um, I do have several issues with the mail-in uh, ballot process. Uh, the experts in other states, Colorado, Washington, Idaho, and Utah, have found that it takes between five and 10 years yeah. to really build up an infrastructure to do mail-in correctly. And here we are in Pennsylvania in probably the most <laughs> intense election that we faced in decades, and we're going to be doing it for the first time. So a lot of challenges. But the uh, process in Pennsylvania is one in which you have to actually apply for the ballot. We have 8.6 million voters in Pennsylvania. They're not all getting an automatic ballot in the mail. The other difference is that mail-in voters, they can start that process as soon as 50 days before the election. Yeah. Plenty of time to get their ballot and vote it and cast it, as opposed to those of us who vote at the polls, we have 13 hours to do that on November 3rd. So the irony is a lot of the challenges in the courts right now on the mail-in ballots by the Democratic groups and their allies are arguing that they need even more time. But mm. for decades and decades, you had 13 hours <laughs> to get your vote mm -hmm. in. Now you have maybe 50 days, and that's not enough time to get it done and put it in the mail or deliver it to your county board of elections. It makes me question what is really the strategy that the Democrats are after here. So uh, a couple of the challenges we saw in the primary was the ability to count all of the mail-ins, because there were a lot of mail-ins, and particularly down in the southeastern part of the state. I mean, I don't know how long it ended up taking Philadelphia uh, to count. All, you, you probably know. Um, but this could be where the rest of the country is uh, waiting on Pennsylvania, uh, because uh, the last Democrat to win the White House without Pennsylvania was Harry Truman. Uh, 1948. So uh, Pennsylvania is the road to the White House um, uh, for both parties. Uh, we could be waiting a long time. Is that a concern for you? It is definitely a concern. If in the primary where only about a million and a half mail-in ballots were cast, and they're now projecting three million uh, in November, it took five weeks until I got the Department of State's certification of the delegates and alternate delegates to our Republican National Convention. Mm. If that had been November, we would have been up against the safe harbor for our electoral college. So we could be finding Pennsylvania's electors have not yet been chosen in mid-December just before the electoral college meets. And if it's a close race, that could be a real significant issue. But uh, counting those ballots was a challenge for a couple of reasons. One, um, the, the law also changed and said you can now registered to vote 15 days before an election. It used to be 30 days. Mm -hmm. That puts a strain on all the counties who have to get their election day binders printed and ready and updated. Very tough strain. But it then said you only had to go up to seven days before the election to apply for a mail-in. So that gap between the 15 and the seven meant that there were potentially hundreds of thousands of voters who were getting ballots to mail them in 
before they were even in the poll books. Mm -hmm. So uh, the problem has been that these late ballots came in, and in Philadelphia and statewide, um, about 170,000 ballots were cast in the last three days by mail. And the Department of State said in the last two weeks before the primary, almost 750,000 came in, about half, at the last minute. That could happen geometrically in November. So uh, my son, a college student, uh, of course, being a good procrastinator, uh, <laughs> uh, applied the last day that you could get a mail-in ballot. He never received it, uh, but was marked as a mail-in uh, voter. And so uh, because he didn't receive it, he came home from college uh, and cast his vote uh, at the election office. And uh, so, but it was provisional because he was a mail-in. He never ended up receiving his mail-in. So uh, that was just our own family experience with that. Uh, is, are there efforts to help resolve this? Or is this what the litigation is addressing? Or does this require legislation uh, prior to our election here? Well, your son's experience was interesting. Mine was the exact opposite. I received Three mail-in ballots. <laughs> Maybe you got his. I, I might have gotten <laughs> voted his. in Lebanon County. I then. only voted one of them, but there is a loophole in the law, and there would be a possibility you could have voted more than once. And there mm. were a couple of inadvertent examples of that in the primary. A lot of the checks and balances and security measures that were put in the statute did not really fully function in the primary. Again, five to ten years to really build yeah. up the infrastructure. So we're really facing that perfect storm. Um, the provisional ballot uh, is also an issue because if you're voting by provisional ballot, that's a waiting period after Election Day before it's counted. Mm -hmm. So again, November 3rd, November 4th, we still may not know what the results are because of that process. So there are many significant issues. The litigation is trying to deal with some of them. But at the end of the day, Matt, this is solely a function of the legislature. The U.S. Constitution, the Pennsylvania Constitution, gives our legislature the power and the authority to set the time, place, and manner for conducting elections, period. Not the executive branch, not the judiciary, just the legislature. Our legislature has been working on it. The laws are very clear, but now the Department of State and the governor and groups allied with the Democratic Party are trying to get the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania to change the rules, contradict what the legislature did constitutionally. Well, they've never done easier. that before, so I don't think we have Not a in fear. the last 15 days. <laughs> um, but, you know, these challenges do have a place in yeah. the courts. I won't deny that by any means. And we're hoping that the uh, Supreme Court will respect the uh, the. the other branches of government, the legislative branches, powers and authorities, and uphold it. Uh, but these are pretty aggressively fought cases right now that are pending in Pennsylvania. What, what are the changes that uh, the legislature is proposing that, uh, as we speak right now, Governor Wolf has said, well, he'll veto them. What are some of the changes that, uh, based on the experience of the primary and saying, look, this, this will help us make sure that this process is smooth and that we're not waiting five weeks uh, for uh, the results? Well, our legislature has shown that it knows how to exercise its constitutional power appropriately. In March, 
They did amend the statute that they passed in October to provide for issues to deal with the COVID crisis at that time. They now have introduced legislation to give the counties the opportunity to start processing what they call pre-canvassing the mail-in ballots before Election Day, and that's not counting of them. That's basically just verifying that it's the right voter who submitted it, opening the envelope, separating them, time-consuming tasks mm -hmm. that can take literally days to complete if you wait until November 3rd. Uh, they've also uh, proposed to move back the deadline to apply for a mail-in to 15 days before the election so it matches with the registration deadline so the poll books will be mm. much more accurate. And maybe my son would receive his uh, ballot son, right. in advance. In advance. But um, those are some of the changes. Um, they're all pre-November 3rd. The Democrats, the governor, and the liberal groups, though, are trying to impose post-November 3rd, post-election day, uh, extended deadlines. Mm. We've never yeah. had that. In our nation, we vote on one day. Mm -hmm. That's it. And now they want this to be the ongoing, never-ending election. And with 50-plus days, maybe, to get the application applied for, to get your ballot, and then mail it in or personally deliver it, or even take it in on election day to the Board of Elections, why we have to extend beyond November 3rd for some voters and not others is absolutely a violation of the Constitution. Well, you talk about the governor and some of his allies. Uh, I think one aspect that we're seeing is that there are millions of dollars uh, flowing in to certain counties, not every county, um, uh, but certain counties to expand what are called satellite elections offices, uh, drop boxes, uh, kind of like having your, um, you know, the blue mailbox, uh, but this for elections. Talk about what you're seeing out there with some of these uh, outside organizations and groups um, trying to change how we're, we're, we, we're doing this election here or expanding. You know, it's under the, the, the uh, idea of expanding access uh, for people. What are the concerns that you're seeing uh, by the activities out there? Well, you know, the county governments in Pennsylvania actually have the most power over the elections, not the Secretary of the Commonwealth. And we are seeing in some of the southeast counties that outside uh, groups, uh, supposed nonprofits, um, are awarding grants to some of these counties to help them with such things as a drop box or a satellite or a mobile office or other processes that are really the function of government. And I have to wonder, who are these groups and why are they uh, making these grants of, in some cases, millions of dollars mm. to county governments to do this and in only certain areas of the state? Well, really red uh, counties, red I'm sure, counties. right? Yeah. <laughs> so the no. Dropbox is a very strange yeah. one, and it's absolutely prohibited under the existing law. Um, the law says now you can mail your mail-in mm -hmm. ballot or take it in in person. Well, there are more mailboxes everywhere in this state yeah. than there ever would be drop boxes. But what some of these red counties want to do, excuse me, the blue counties, the, uh, the Democratic counties, what they want to do is put the drop boxes in neighborhoods where there are more Democrats than Republican by far. But I checked it out myself mm -hmm. in the primary. There were more mailboxes. There were 12 mailboxes between where I live and my walk to put it into what was then the Dropbox wow. in Philadelphia. Mm. So why did I need yeah. a Dropbox? And the mailboxes are protected by federal law. We all know where they are. Mm -hmm. Why we need to have these Dropboxes is very 
concerning to us. Plus, in one county, they're also going to have, they said, a mobile unit that will travel to different places to allow you to cast your ballot. But who decides where they go? Who's going to be in charge of staffing that? You know, there mm -hmm. could be unequal voting. So let's say you're running for statewide office in Pennsylvania. Butler County follows their rules, which are the state rules. But you might find that Delaware County has changed their rules, so the voters in Delaware County are treated differently than your voters in Butler mm -hmm. County. That's not equal protection for that candidate or for the voters. And is there litigation addressing these things that, that is uh, working its way through the courts? They, in fact, uh, today uh, we're continuing with one of the uh, cases. The first one was tried, and uh, we were very successful in what is called the Crossy case. But that's probably that is, in fact, on appeal to the state Supreme Court. Uh, there's a case that's pending uh, this week that will be finished probably at the end of the week that will also go to the Supreme Court. And then there's a third case that the Supreme Court has taken on an expedited basis at which all of these issues, including a very insidious uh, proposal to permit ballot harvesting. Well, talk about that, uh, ballot harvesting. What is it? And right now that is prohibited, correct? It that is, is absolutely and has been for and when, someone, and when someone talks, what is ballot harvesting? Ballot harvesting is when uh, people can go to voters and uh, collect their ballots, uh, maybe even give them assistance in completing it, which is not permitted under the law unless you have the legal right to have assistance. Mm -hmm. uh, so they can collect them and then turn them in, but then they get possession of these ballots. They can maybe open some of them to see how they were voted. They can maybe sit with the voter and help the voter fill it in the way they want. They may throw some of them out and never deliver them. Uh, there's all kinds of mischief that could occur. The right to vote is a purely personal, private right guaranteed to all U.S. citizens. The ballot harvesting, though, adds an element of intimidation and also one in which could be ripe for fraud and, and mischief. So uh, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, uh, all signatures on uh, mail-in or absentees are supposed to be checked uh, for to the voter registration. Is that correct? That is correct. The outside envelope signature must match that in the poll books. But again, some people maybe registered to vote 30, 40 years ago. Maybe mm -hmm. their handwriting has changed. But there is supposed to be a process to validate the identity of the person casting the ballot. And did we see what numbers were rejected in the primary uh, for that, that the, the signatures did not match uh, what was in the voter uh, rolls? Uh, there, there's always a certain number. Uh -huh. I don't know that it was of any great significance. Okay. But again, the process is just starting. Uh, we're certainly going to find out more with the uh, potential 3 million that will be cast. And keep in mind that we usually average about 5.6 million votes in a presidential mm -hmm. year. So 3 million would account for more than half of the ballots that will be cast. So it will be very significant. Well, I know that there were a number of counties that had uh, more mail-in votes uh, than they did in person in the primary uh, back in June. Absolutely. So it, well, and, yeah. and, and again, based on COVID, and the one thing that I'm not opposed to on the mail-in certainly is because we don't know the effects of COVID uh, in November. So if you have a concern or a health issue um, or a co-occurring medical condition or just are anxious in general, the mail-in ballot is a way for you to vote 
uh, without that risk. So we've gone a little bit long here. It's good, though, that we're talking about all these elect because I think a lot of people don't understand what's happening or, or how Pennsylvania is going to operate. Uh, it, I, I suspect we'll probably be going uh, almost up into November and deciding a lot of these things. Uh, the legislature is moving. The courts are moving. Um, as uh, this uh, winds down here, um, how would you persuade the swing voter in Pennsylvania? Say, you know what? Run with the Republicans. Vote for Donald Trump. What, what's your, your case for voting Republican? Well, first of all, at the state level and also for the federal level, I would say take a look at the actions of Governor Tom Wolf and his Department of Health and his Department of Community Economic Development during the COVID crisis. They operated in a very, um, I would say, arrogant and almost dictatorial mm -hmm. way in deciding what businesses could open, when people could go back to work, uh, who was in, able to get a waiver and who wasn't, and how they handled that nursing home crisis where they took sick individuals and put them in nursing homes exposing our most vulnerable. So that's number one. Is that the kind of government that you want? And he's still going to be there for two years, right. so let's send him a message. Number two, the economy will be the number one issue. We have to recover. Unemployment is still unacceptably too high in this state. Uh, there is a need to get the economy rolling again. Uh, President Trump has shown that he can do it because he did it already, giving us the greatest economy we had in at least my lifetime. And then the third one is, I think just in general, that the American values, American system, I mean, we are a nation of many different types of people that all want to aspire to the American dream, and there are issues that need to be addressed and resolved. But the Democrats' radical, radical liberal agenda would transform this nation towards a socialist nation economically and one in which we as Americans may cease to lose our national identity. It will be an interesting November election. Uh, I appreciate uh, the work that you do and, Thank you. Uh, and particularly with all these elections. I mean, it's for such a time as this that you are chairman of the party, uh, the top election lawyer, right? <laughs> it, it is. The only thing I uh, think, looking back to last July, the only thing I think I would have done different is I would have uh, invested in a company that makes that Purell hand sanitizer, <laughs> and I probably would have uh, bought stock in the company that made Valley paper towels. There you go. Uh, if, if only we could go back in time. So, uh, Lawrence Tavis, chairman of the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, thanks for joining me Thank on Bruce News. It's a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.